Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Let's get in it straight away. I'm excited for today's broadcast because I believe today is going to be a day of mass deliverance for a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have the light of God's truth shining on their lives. You know, the devil works in darkness. The Bible says he is the prince of darkness. He operates in darkness. He could only control you if you're in darkness. And when you're in ignorance, you are in darkness. But the moment light comes on the scene, the devil has no choice but to leave. Because John chapter 1 verse 5 says, the light shines out the darkness and darkness can't comprehend it. Darkness can't control it. And darkness certainly cannot do anything about it. So that's why we're taking time to read and study from the word of God today because there's no quick fix for anything. You know, people think that Christianity is like witchcraft. You just put up some formula and everything's going to work out for you. That's witchcraft. That's how the devil operates. Christianity is a is a, a, a life that is based on faith in God. And faith begins, I've said this many times, where the will of God is known. So when you know the will of God and the word of God is God's will, that's when light comes on the scene. And when light comes, darkness bows out. Darkness is exposed and deposed. Light exposes and light deposes darkness. It removes the hold and the control and the influence of darkness on your life. So... That's the reason why I take time to read from the Bible. You, you have no idea. Maybe you do. How many ministers today and Christian leaders, they will quote one tiny little like part of a scripture and then move on to their thoughts on life for the next 35, 40 minutes. And I don't care about your thoughts on life. I don't care about your opinion on things. I don't care about what you think is right. I wrote this on Twitter yesterday and I think it bears me to repeat it right now because it, it's absolutely true. You know, I've just started a TikTok last Saturday and we're already almost at 2,000 followers so if you're on TikTok follow us there at TJ Malkanji we had a video that just recently blew up and so it's allowed a lot of people and a lot of traffic flow to my account but with that I'm getting all kinds of crazy comments I'm getting people that literally you can tell right away they're authority in life is not the word of God. The ultimate authority in their life is not the word of God. The, the, their directive in life is not influenced by the word of God. It's influenced by their feelings. I wrote this on Twitter based on what I was seeing in the comment sections on TikTok. Many Christians would have a much easier time in life if they stopped building doctrine around number one, what they think. Well, I just think that I don't care what you think. What does the word say? Number one, what they think, how they feel. Oh, I know what the word of God says, but I just feel like it doesn't matter what you feel. Anytime you hear, I know what the word of God says, but always pay special attention and a lot of caution to what's about to come out of that person's mouth because nine times out of 10, it is heresy. What they think, how they feel, and what they've experienced. 
what they've experienced. And instead, they should build their belief system around the word of God. You know, the word of God says that thy word, O Lord, is a lamp to my path and a light to my feet. The Bible says forever thy word is settled. So the word of God is settled. The word of God was truth in the first century and it'll be truth up until forever the bible says the heavens are even going to fade away and the earth is going to be destroyed before the word of the lord expires it's never going to expire it's the truth of god that lives and abides forever and so we have to stop basing our doctrine and our understanding of life and painting these um, worldviews based on what we think, based on how we feel, or based on what we've experienced. And instead, we need to pay special attention to building our belief system around the structure and the systematics of the Word of God. We have to pay special attention to that or else you're going to get into error. And when you're in error, you're back into the devil's territory where he can manipulate, control, and influence you. I wanted to start off this broadcast by write, uh, reading in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2. You know, Bishop David Oyedepo in Nigeria, he has something that he says often and I love it because it's so simple yet so true. He says... That there is no mountain in any man's life. There's no mountain, meaning there's no immovable situation. There's no uh, unchangeable situation. There's no nothing the devil has done to you that is not undoable or impossible to remove or change in your life. The, but the, however, every man's mountain is their own ignorance. There's no mountain, there's no real mountain in anybody's life. However, any man's mountain is the mountain, if there is a mountain, it is the mountain of their own ignorance. Once you remove the mountain of ignorance, everything is possible. Everything is doable. Everything can be accomplished once ignorance is removed from the equation. Because once ignorance comes out and you start to know what God's word is and his will concerning the situation, then you can cooperate with God and lend yourself to the spirit of God to fulfill that thing in your life, to do it. That's what the story of David is. David saw Goliath everybody else saw a giant David looked to two things he looked at the size of the reward that was promised to him if he defeated Goliath that Saul promised and then David looked to the size of his God because he wasn't ignorant of how big God was and how majestic God was and how and is and how omnipotent God is he wasn't phased by the giant he wasn't disturbed by how big Goliath was while all of Israel bowed out and chickened out and cowered it out David said this guy I'm gonna feed his body to the birds of the air because how dare he challenge the Lord God Almighty how dare he challenge the armies of the living God and what happened exactly what he said is exactly what he had the story doesn't end with David having his head cut off the story ends by David being exalted in the sight of Israel God being exalted and glorified and Philistines, the enemies of Israel, were subdued and they 
um, they, they were destroyed that day. And so you see that because of David's insight of the word of God and what he knew about God, it allowed him to be empowered to challenge this present day Goliath you might be facing not a physical Goliath I hope there's nobody that's over 10 feet standing in your house threatening to kill you if there is please alert me in the comment section by pressing 1-1 but or 9-1-1 and if I see any 9-1-1s I'm really gonna like laugh but anyways don't do it unless you really are being uh, oppressed by a giant in your house which I pray is highly I hope is highly unlikely However, you might be facing spiritual giants in your life. You might be facing a, a giant of depression. You might be facing a giant of anxiety. You might be facing the giant of sickness. Do you have any idea how much money the pharmaceutical industry is making off keeping people sick? They don't want to come up with a cure. The cure means you don't feed into their financial system anymore. You're not feeding it. You're not tied up to the IV of, 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 their, of their pocket any longer you're not flooding money into their pockets any longer the moment they present a cure is the moment they lost you as a client hospitals aren't interested in having empty beds hospitals want full beds just like hotels don't want empty beds they don't want vacancy they want to be full they want to be fully booked and so it's the same with hospitals i'm not saying the doctor that's treating you is wicked i'm not saying the guy that might run the hospital is wicked but you if you have to look beyond that there are people don't think don't let the devil deceive you into thinking that everybody that is alive on planet earth has good intentions for you everybody is for you everybody's trying to help you everybody's trying that's not the truth at all there are people that have lent their will and their power and their desires and their energy and time and resources to the devil to seek to oppress just like jesus said to steal to kill and to destroy jesus said in matthew 13 that there is a good seed which are the sons of the kingdom and then there is the bad seed the tares which are the sons of the devil so not everybody on earth is a son of God not everybody on earth is neutral there are actually people that have given themselves over to the devil to be used by him to be anointed by him you see the same way God works is the same way the devil has counterfeited uh, that work. God works in a certain way. When he wants to accomplish something on the earth, he anoints people. When he wants to get people healed, he anoints people to preach the word of healing, to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. When the devil wants to see people bound and kept captive, what does he do? He anoints his servants to sell drugs, to sell pornography, to sell alcohol, to sell tickets to all kinds of wicked events, to keep them bound, to allow a gateway and an entrance to enter into those people's lives so that he can keep them chained to his will they are held captive by satan to do his will and so that's why we have to come up which what i which what i read which what i'm, what I'm about to read second corinthians chapter 2 listen to this listen to this second corinthians chapter 2 and verse 11 says lest satan if you're just joining me now you'd be a great help to me if you share this broadcast uh, and help get this word out to more people. Verse 11 says, Lest Satan should take advantage of us, for we are not ignorant of his devices. We're not ignorant of his schemes. We're not ignorant to the way that Satan operates. Before I move on to anything else, I need to get to the basics of this. If we're going to talk about defeating Satan's number one weapon, and really... I'll get into it a little later, but it really is his only weapon. You have to understand this. 
Satan, Colossians 2.14 says, has been disarmed and destroyed in power. The Bible says in Colossians 2.14, Christ has disarmed principalities and powers and made a public show or humiliation of the devil and his forces openly when he triumphed over him at the cross at Calvary. You remember when Jesus was about to be taken up and ascend to heaven, one of his final words was, Behold, all authority and power in heaven and on earth has been given unto me. So if Jesus holds all power and authority in heaven and on earth, that means the devil no longer holds power or authority in heaven or on earth, but he still has his weapons. The weapons, and the weapon is, and I'm going to get into it more, is the weapon of deceit and the weapon of lies and the weapon of, of, um, of doubt that generates fear in people's heart. And so the devil doesn't actually have the power to make you sick in that he can't afflict you with cancer. He can't afflict you with diabetes. He cannot, he doesn't have the power to destroy your marriage. What he does have, however, is the power to sow seeds of doubt, of fear, and through the power of suggestion, um, suggest you lies that get you to believe those things. And when you believe those things, the law of faith, understand this, God created the earth he created man, and just like there's certain laws that govern the material and physical realm, like gravity, there is there are certain laws that govern the supernatural realm, which is the law of faith. Romans 4 talks about the law of faith. It is a irrevocable law. It is a law that is in, in place, and it's never going to be removed. It's never going to be changed. It's never going to be uh, dislodged. It is a law that is there to stay. It is the constitution of the earth. And so the law of faith works both ways. You can believe, choose to believe the report of the word of God. And when you believe, Hebrews 11.3 says, by faith they obtained a good report. You'll obtain a good report when you believe God's report. But the devil in sowing seeds of lies and deceit and doubt into your heart, if he does it long enough and if it's left unchecked and you do nothing and you're ignorant to that weapon of fear that he's trying to use to manipulate you and get you to believe wrongly, what's going to happen is that fear is going going to attract wrong things in your life it's going to attract not the blessing of god but the curses of the devil it's not going to attract healing it's going to attract sickness it won't attract prosperity it's going to attract poverty it's not going to attract vic attract victory it's going to attract defeat and so that's why i want to address this number one weapon that satan has because you know it's very stupid to go to war against an enemy and not find out what's his weapon of choice it's very ignorant to go to war against an enemy or an adversary that opposes you and has a will to destroy you and you be totally ignorant to his devices, totally ignorant to his strategy. You want to find out what is his strategy because if you know his strategy, perfect picture of this is painted in the in the second Kings chapter 5. The Bible says that the king of Assyria was looking to wage war against Israel. But by the word of knowledge, Elisha kept telling the king of Israel the secrets of the king of Assyria. He knew his strategy by a word of knowledge. And as such, the king of Assyria was never able to invade Israel. So when you understand the strategies of the devil, you prevent his invasion into your life. And as such, you secure your victory all the days of your life. That gets you excited. Why don't you type amen in the comment section? So before we move on to anything else, we have to get down to the basics 
Is Satan even real? Absolutely. Absolutely. He is not a mythological creature that was invented in primitive era, eras of humanity and has just somehow survived throughout the years and we still there's still a certain number of people, predominantly Christians, that believe in this primitive idea of a devil. Well, first and foremost, I cast that, 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 that thought down based on Jesus' dealing with the devil. Jesus didn't say to his disciples, no, he's actually just a fictional force. He's, he's a representation of evil, that there's actually no person called the devil that roams the earth like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. All of that is just a primitive idea that humanity has conceived in their hearts wrongfully, but I'm here to bring you the truth that devil, he doesn't exist. Only good and, and God exists. Evil is just some manufactured idea in, in humanity's heart. That's not what Jesus said. Jesus dealt with the devil. How do we know that? First of all, in Luke 4, he was tempted by the devil. Three times the devil came. It doesn't say some, you know, a, 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 a mystical spirit came. It says Satan himself came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness. Secondly, in Mark chapter 9, when a boy was brought to Jesus, who the Bible says what had a mute spirit and a deaf spirit, and oftentimes when it seized him, it convulsed him and it threw him violently into a fit and it threw him into the fire often, into the water often, seeking to destroy him. And the man, the father of that boy came to Jesus and said, if you can help me, help me, cast this thing out of my son. Jesus said, if I can, all things are possible to him that believes. And he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of him and immediately the boy was restored. And the Bible says he turned to his disciples and said, this kind cometh not out but through prayer and fasting. Saying this kind of demon or this level of demon requires a spiritual devotion to prayer and fasting before you can take authority over it. Jesus didn't turn to the disciples or to the father of the child and say, oh no, you're trying to get me to cast the demon out of this kid. You're going to find out years from now in about the year 1950 or 1970s where scientific discoveries will ameliorate and you're, we're going to discover that these things that we attributed to demonic spirits and unclean spirits are actually just malfunctions of the brain. This kid's having a seizure. He's having epilepsy, epileptic battles. And um, we can actually pull up an x-ray in about 2,000 years from now, we'll be able to pull up an x-ray and show you exactly what's wrong with the child. So don't call that demon possessed. Don't call that demonized. Don't even talk about oppression. Don't even bring that up. You guys are just in the first century AD. Just trust me, one day we're going to discover through scientific discovery what exactly is. No, he didn't say that. He called the devil what he was. He said, this is an unclean spirit and it doesn't need to be tolerated. It doesn't need to be pampered. It doesn't need to be placated. It doesn't need to be um, entertained. It needs to be one thing cast out. I tell you in the name of Jesus, whatever, if you're watching this broadcast and you've had demons and tormenting spirits mess with you and try to afflict you and try to lie to you and try to deceive you and try to oppress and crush you in the name of Jesus Christ, by the unction of the Holy Ghost that I feel on me right now, that unseen force that principality and power that's seeking to crush you where you're at now and paralyze you and stagnate you it is leaving your life now in the name of jesus christ i command it to leave you as we speak right now in jesus name you're not going to be crushed and perplexed and bruised and battered you're going to rise up as more than a conqueror in your generation whether the devil likes it or not 
Hallelujah. So the reality of Satan, why do we believe in a real devil? I talked to you about Jesus identifying the devil as a real enemy, as a real opposition, but let's go back into the Old Testament. What does the Old Testament say about the devil? Isaiah chapter 14, one of the most known scriptures in Speaking of Lucifer, which was his name before he fell. He had a name Lucifer. Understand the history of the devil. He was, and we're going to get into it when I read this passage, but he was an anointed angel, an archangel in heaven. The Bible says when he was created, he was created perfectly. The Bible says he was the perfection of beauty. There wasn't one blemish in him. Some people even believe from the scriptures that he was God's first creation. God's very first creation. The first thing he went out to do in creating beings was was Satan, was Lucifer was Lucifer in all his beauty the bible says he had all diamonds and and barrels and he was clothed in gold and in all kinds of jasper and, and and diadems he was the emblem of god's perfection the bible says that he was he was uh found perfect until the day iniquity was found in his heart isaiah 14:12 so he has a history he wasn't just you know suddenly spawn forth let's look at the history of of lucifer verse 12 isaiah 14 12 how you are fallen from heaven O lucifer son of the morning if you're joining us right now on the broadcast it'd be a great help to me if this is beneficial if this is helping you to share this um on facebook and youtube to help me get this word out O lucifer son of the morning how you are cut down to the ground you who did weaken the nations for you have said in your heart I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of God in the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high God. Yet you shall be thrown down to Sheol and to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you. And consider you saying, is this the one that trembled the earth? Is this the one that shook kingdoms? Is this the one who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who didn't open the house of his prisoners? Next scripture that I want to deal with is Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. Listen to this, verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, take up lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, You were the seal, thus says the Lord God, you were the seal of perfection full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, and diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. You know, in the Old Testament, you had the Ark of the Covenant that was covered by those two winged creatures. The Bible says that was one of the purposes of Satan in heaven. He was one of the anointed cherub who covered God, who had the express privilege of seeing God, who beheld God, who wasn't just some low-level angel in heaven that decided to rebel. He was closest to God than any other angel in heaven. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. He didn't surround it. He was on the mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in all your ways until the day iniquity was found in you. Sin was found in you. Your heart was lifted up. 
Verse 16, by the abundance of your trading, covetousness, and because your heart was filled with hatred and violence, well, it says violence here, and you sinned, therefore I cast you out as profane out of the mountain of God, and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Your heart was filled or was lifted up because of your beauty, was prideful because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. So I cast you down to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries by the multitude of your sin. And all who knew you among the peoples were astonished at you. You have become a horror, a horror and you shall be no more forever. So these two scriptures in the Old Testament are definite description scripture scriptures of the devil and what he his the history of the devil so you understand first of all i said it before satan was an archangel one of his primary purposes in heaven was to be he actually the bible says right here in verse 13 of ezekiel 38 uh, 28 that the workmanship of your timbrels and pipes talking about instruments, was prepared for you in the day you were created. So it seems to me, and the other theologians that have studied this passage, that the devil had a function of worship in heaven. One of his purposes was to worship God, was to lead a choir of worship to God, to exalt God, to glorify God. And so isn't it interesting? Some people wonder, why does the devil hate mankind so much? Why does Satan have such a vendetta against humanity? Well, it's very simple. Satan got cast out of heaven. He lost his purpose in heaven, which was to worship God. When God created man, how did God, created, how did God create man? First of all, he created man in his own image. Remember in Isaiah 14, one of the things the devil wanted to do was to be like the Most High God. What did God do? He created man like God. Genesis 1.26 says, let us make man in our own image. And in the image of God, he created man, both female and male. You and I were created in God's image. We look like God. Our spirit, the nature of the, the, the spirit man of God. In Eden, when Adam was walking in the cool of the day with God, he was the, he looked like God. He, he had the, um, the, the, um, the appearance of God on the earth. When he sinned, he lost that. His spirit died. But when Christ came and redeemed us, that spirit man, the thing that is the image of God, the thing that was literally the breath of God, the nature of God revived in us and we were res resurrected by the blood of Jesus Christ. So the devil hates people, especially Christians, because we look like God, we smell like God, we have the appearance of God, the very thing the devil wanted to be like and got him cast out of heaven for god made man exactly that and then secondly what the devil's purpose was in heaven when god created man he gave man one express purpose one express assignment one very simple task to do which is to what you study catechism the very um beginning of catechism is what is the express um will of god for man to worship God. Our purpose on the earth. Remember Jesus said, if you don't cry out, the stones will cry out. The Bible says that out of mouths of babes and nursing infants, God has ordained praise. Our, our assignment, why we were created, our objective in life as people created in the image of God is to worship God. So what the devil did and, God is, uh, and, and what he lost, we now 
fulfill that position on earth and will one day for eternity do it. So the devil has it out for you because of that. You know, I, I had a, a minister, he was telling a story. He was watching Judge Judy once. And on the show, uh, Ju Judge Judy was uh, dealing with a case where a lady had been broken up with by her boyfriend and she got so ticked off, she went back to the house, but he had changed the locks. And so since she couldn't get into the house, she went and saw his most prized possession sitting in the driveway, which was his brand new Ford Mustang. And she took her key and a bat, keyed it up and smashed all the windows and destroyed the car. So he was in court trying to get uh, recompense for the damage done on the car. That shows you exactly the devil's nature, since he could not get to God, since he cannot access heaven, the Bible says he's been cast out of heaven and there's no more place found for him in heaven, what does he do? He goes for God's most precious possession, which is people created in the image of God. But the good news is today, if you're watching me right now and you're paying attention, is that if you're out of Christ, then you're pretty much a field day for the devil to do whatever he wants. But if you're in Christ, if you belong to Christ, if you've escaped the snares of the devil, if you have have believed and have been born again into the family of God, he no longer has any jurisdiction to access you, your home, your family, your finances, and your health because you have been delivered from the powers of darkness and translated into the kingdom of God's dear son. You were sealed with the Holy Ghost. You bear, Paul said it this way, I bear in my body the mark, the mark of exemption of the Lord Jesus Christ. And as such, because God God's seed abides in me. The wicked one has no ability to touch me, to molest me, to harass me, to do anything that pertains to me because I've been born again, bought with a price, redeemed by the blood, and my name is written in heaven, and I'm far above principalities and powers because I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. However, he can still cause you to fall if you believe his lies. So you can believe everything I just told you. You're seated in Christ. Greater is he that lives in you. That the power of God, the quickening spirit of God, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead lives in you. And as such, you're empowered for victory. Or you can believe the lies of the devil and fall to this number one weapon that he uses and time and time again ends up subduing people. And not only people, Christians. People who are supposed to be called little Christ. People that are tied to the truth, people that belong to the church, which is the pillar and ground of the truth. But because of either laziness, they choose not to pick up this book and study it for themselves, or B, because of wrong teaching that they have absorbed over the years, they end up living lives far below the life, the victorious lifestyle that God has for, for his people. And so we talked about the reality of the devil. We talked about how Satan has attributes, characteristic traits, personality attributed to him. Jesus rebuked the devil. You don't rebuke an object. You don't rebuke an iPhone. You don't rebuke a light. What do you rebuke? You rebuke people. You rebuke, you, you rebuke entities. So the fact that Jesus rebuked the devil and the archangel Michael and Jude, the Bible notes him as having said, the Lord rebukes you because the devil can be rebuked. We know that he is a personality. Satan's mentioned over 200 times throughout the entirety of scripture. So we know that he's not some fictional figure or character. He is a real person who has a real hatred for people created in the image of God. But the good news is, is we don't have to fall victim to his assault and affliction. We can rise up 
and have victory, not just one out of two times, every single time. So uh, what is the, let me read this, 2 Timothy. Let's do 2 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. What is the number one weapon Satan uses to defeat people? 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let's begin with verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds, the God, so whose minds? Whose minds? Not whose bodies, not whose spirits, not whose lives, whose minds? The God of this age has blinded who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. It is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who now shines in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. So the Bible says the devil, the God of this age, blinds the minds of people preventing them from believing fear okay i want you to understand this faith is generated by what the word of god faith comes by hearing the word of god and faith comes by understanding the word of god fear which the Bible calls a spirit, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7 says, we have not received the spirit of fear, but of power, love, and of a sound mind. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and verse 13 says, as believers, we are to have the spirit of faith. That spirit of faith is fueled by constant injections of the word of God. And just like your car can't run unless it has fuel in it, the spirit of faith in you can't continue moving and operating through you unless you continue to fuel it up with the word of God. But in the same vein, when you, when you choose to believe the lies or the deceitful thoughts or the doubt-filled thoughts of the enemy that he sows into your mind, you end up fueling this spirit called fear that generates more fear in your life. And when fear is generated, it attracts exactly what it fears. Job chapter 3, 16 says that, the, or verse 22, the thing which I have feared has come on me and that which I have what? Dreaded has come to me. The thing which I have feared has come to me, and that which I have dreaded has come or has been attracted my way. Understand this. Though you're born again and you're part of the kingdom of God, you're not immune to these thoughts. No matter how anointed you might get, no matter how great of exploits you might do and accomplish for God on the earth, nobody is exempt from these thoughts. Hebrews chapter, uh, Ephesians chapter 6, let me read this. Hebrew, uh, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. You know what that verse tells me? You don't have to fall against the wiles of the devil. You can stand against, to, uh, against the wiles of the devil. Verse 12. Listen, pay special attention to this. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but we do wrestle when I talked about this on Tuesday, this wrestling, it does not mean that we're in this blood bath battle against the devil. And it's this hard, difficult, complicated, 
uh, belaboring task of fighting the devil. That's not what the, the, the what Paul's trying to convey to his audience here. Paul is saying that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against the rulers of darkness of this age, in that he's saying there is an opposition, there is an adversary. Don't think you're going to just run through life unchallenged. Don't think you're just going to run through life without having to face these thoughts, without having to face these oppositions. You're, you have an adversary. The very word Satan in the Greek is satanias, which means adversary. It means opposer. It means accuser. So because, you know, there's a guy that came up to R.W. Schombach once and he said, I, I just pray the devil leaves me alone. And then R.W. Schombach laid hands on him and he said, Father, kill him. You can't pray the devil's going to leave you alone. He's not going to leave you alone. But whether you fall victim to his antics and his tactics or rise to the occasion and defeat him every single time is up to you. It's up to you. The Bible says we do wrestle. There is a wrestling match. Life is not funfair. Life is warfare. Life is not you frolicking through life in a bed of flowers and daisies. Life is you carrying the weapons of warfare, um, taking up the armor of God, being shod with the with the, the breastplate of righteousness, the helmet of salvation, and constantly understanding that I am a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, I have been engaged in this battle. There is an opposition, but I've been anointed to constantly conquer everywhere I go. No man, no devil, no entity can ever stand before me because I know that if God be for me, who can be against me? But the Bible says we are in a war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, against principality, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of this age, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly places. So take up the, the armor of God that you may be able to stand and withstand in the evil day. So that scripture also lets you know that we're not fighting against your spouse. You're not fighting against your boss. You're not fighting against your employer. You're not fighting against some seen force. There might be an agent the devil is using to try and rip you of joy, to try and make life miserable and hard for you. However, the Bible is clear to say that we're not wrestling against that physical body. We're not wrestling against the physical manifestation of the thing that behind the scenes, there are spiritual forces at work. And the way the devil, the reason why he uses people against other people is because he has the use of their mouth if he can control a vessel, a willing vessel, he can use their mouth to do what? To sow thoughts of doubt, of deceit, of lies, and through the power of suggestion, I want you to take special note of that, the power of suggestion get you to believe a wrong report. I wrote down here five examples of Satan using this power of suggestion and in so doing get people to fear and in fearing get people to receive the consequences of that fear. Number one, where did Satan use this weapon? Where are examples of this weapon of the power of suggestion that breeded fear in people that ultimately resulted in them falling in defeat? Genesis chapter 3, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1. In the Garden of Eden is the very first time the devil used this, this weapon of 
the power of suggestion to breed fear in people's hearts. Number one, uh, verse one, chapter three, verse one. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And so he said to the woman, so the Bible says first and foremost in describing the devil that he was the most, the most cunning beast, the most cunning creature, the most subtle, the most tricky, the most uh, deceiving creature that ever has lived and will live. And he said to the woman, has God really said? Has God really said? You shall not eat of the of the every tree of the garden and the woman said to the serpent we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden but of the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden god said you shall not eat of it nor shall you even touch it lest you die for god knows that in the day you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you will be like god knowing good and evil so the serpent said you shall not surely die for god knows that in the day you eat of it your eyes will be opened and you'll be like god knowing good and evil so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes a tree desirable to eat uh, to make one wise she took of its fruit and ate of it and gave some to her husband also and their eyes were open and then you know the rest of the story but i read this first and foremost by read um to prove to you that number one, the Bible describes the devil as cunning, tricky, and deceiving. And number two, he used the power of suggestion on the woman in the garden. Did God really say? See, the reason why he does that, he sows that initial thought in people's heads. It's to get them to travel on this trail of lies that ultimately leads into deceit and disaster. He kickstarts this thought process that if you entertain it long enough you get into you 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 end up reaping the uh, harvest of those thoughts sown which is disaster and destruction he notice what he did he said he got eve to doubt the integrity of god's word he got eve to doubt god's sincerity in what he said did god really mean what he said did God really, um, was he being serious when he said that? Does God really expect you to believe that he heals all the sick? Does God really uh, prosper his servants like the Bible suggested? I mean, look at such and such. Then he'll point you to other testimonies, other cases. They were faithful believers and it didn't work for them. So the first thing he does, this weapon of deceit is to get you to turn away from the truth of God's word and instead turn to the lies of the devil. He attempts to put you on this trail of disastrous thoughts that leads to destruction. And then the second thing he does is, what did, what did Satan do? Not only did he try to get them to eat, he warped the consequences of their actions that if you actually act on my lies you're not gonna die if you actually sin if you sleep with that guy it's not gonna you're not gonna get pregnant if you sleep with that woman that's not your wife you're not you're not gonna get an std you're not gonna get this he you're not gonna be crushed you won't have sorrow of heart gets you to 
He warps the consequences of your action. The Bible says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. He'll come in and say, if you do this, it's harmless. Absolutely harmless. You do it just this one time. It's not going to affect you that bad. If you did it a lot, yeah, maybe, but you're just doing it this one time. Just skip up on those taxes. The government will never find out. You don't, God didn't really say all those things that you have to keep in touch. He gets you to doubt the sincerity of God in what he spoke. And then he gets you to doubt the consequences of believing his lies through the power of suggestion. The number two example in scripture of the devil using this weapon is in the 10 spies in Numbers chapter 13. God sends, uh, Moses sends out 12 spies to spy out the promised land. They all returned. 10 spies said what? To the children of Israel. The Bible says they gave an evil report of unbelief, telling the children of Israel, the land is good, the land is great, the land truly is flowing with milk and honey. However, the giants are too big, the walls are too fortified, and their weapons are too great, we'll never be able to subdue our enemies. We know what God, we know that God said that we'll have victory everywhere we go, but we've scouted this thing out, and it it's not looking like it's gonna run out in our favor. The devil used the mouths of those ten witnesses to breed fear and generate worry and anxiety in the camp of Israel, which did what? It paralyzed them. They didn't want to move into the land. They didn't want to take the land that God had so clearly said they can have. They had a spirit of fear. And when they spoke, they multiplied that spirit of fear in the lives of others. And the fear paralyzed them. And notice, the ten spies and everyone that believed their report never touched the promised land. The only one that got into the promised land was the two that said the opposite and said, if God be on our side, we, can buy, we, can, we are well able to overcome and take possession of the land. So you notice, these ten witnesses that were being, literally were lending their mouth to the devil. I want you to understand this. There are people that might have good hearts in your life, but the moment they take sides with the devil's lies, they, lies, they are lending their mouth to the devil. It's like Peter. Peter had a good heart. Peter had just told Jesus, if everybody stumbles, I'll never stumble. He had a good heart. He loved Jesus. But Jesus started to talk about his crucifixion. What did Peter say? Far be it that it should ever happen to you. The devil used Peter's mouth to, to, to spew out a lie. That'll never happen to you. But Jesus understood this was his mission. For this reason was I born. For this cause came I forth to, to, to be crucified. To die this sinner's death so that sinners can be redeemed back into the fold of heaven. So when Peter spoke those lies, he was lending his mouth to the devil. D Peter was not demon-possessed. He wasn't demonized. What he did was he lent his mouth to the devil for that specific moment of time and tried to get Jesus off the track of the destiny of his life by getting him to believe the lie that he would not have to go. Far be it from you that you should go to the cross and do this thing. What did Jesus reply? Get thee behind me, Satan. You are not mindful of the things of God. You're mindful of the things of man. You're not thought filled. You're fill, your thoughts are not filled with God's will and God's desires. Your thoughts are filled with selfishness. Number three example of script, in scripture of the devil using this weapon is in David and Goliath's day. 
Bible says David, before he even got on the scene, Goliath was mouthing off day after day for 40 days. If there's anybody that can challenge me, let him come. If he, fe if he beats me, we, the Philistines, will serve you. But if I beat him, you're going to serve us. And the Bible says all of Israel feared the words of Goliath. They feared the words of Goliath. So you notice, nobody, Goliath didn't even have to lift a finger. He just spoke and it crippled the camp of Israel from even trying to do anything. It's the power of suggestion. The devil doesn't have to actually overpower you. He just has to make you to think that he can overpower you and will overpower you. And in doing that, he can fold up his hands, lift his legs on his sofa and take a day off because he successfully convinced you through the power of suggestion that he's stronger than you, that he's bigger than you, that he's greater than you. Even though the Bible says greater is he that lives in us than he that is in the world. And as such, he actually doesn't have to lift a finger. The camp of Israel didn't even, they didn't even try it. They didn't even attempt a thing for God to break this guy's head over uh, uh, with, with a sling. They were crippled by fear through this suggestion that Goliath had said. I'm going to feed you. He cursed them by, their, by God. He cursed God himself. But David came and he heard the same words. But because David carried a spirit of faith, it struck him wrong. It, it, everyone hear this, this term called it, put a check in my spirit? When you get a check in your spirit, when someone says something and it puts a check in your spirit, you should pay special attention to that. Because that's uh, you're, if you're baptized in the Holy Ghost, you have the spirit of God in you. You're a spirit-filled Christian and you read the word and you fill yourself up with the doctrine of truth. When you get a check in your spirit, it's a indicator the holy ghost is trying to wake you up that's not your story that's not going to be your story you don't have to believe that that's a lie and you should cast down take that thought captive and cast it down before it starts to breed something you don't want in your life so pay special attention to these indicators when you get a check in your spirit when you feel i don't feel it that's not sitting well with me that's like i just ate uh 18 Cheeserito tacos from Taco Bell with spicy sauce. That ain't sitting well with me. There's something wrong. I, that didn't, that's not healthy for my spirit. That's provoking my spirit. That's irritating my spirit. The moment you get that, you, you have to take authority over that thing and cast it down. And I'm going to get into how we cast down thoughts in a bit. But pay special attention to that. David, it put a check in his spirit. Who's this? Who, what did he just say? Who does he think he is in challenging the armies of the living God? I'm going to cut his head off. Not I'm going to entertain him. I'm going to let him keep speaking. Don't let the devil have room in your mind. You know, you don't have the ability from stopping a bird from flying over your head. But you have the ability and power to make sure that the bird doesn't build a nest in your hair. You don't have the ability of preventing a thought from passing through your mind, but you do have the ability in taking that thought captive and casting it down, lest it, it produces a nest in your mind and produces a stronghold in your mind and produces a negative process of thought in your mind. David, can't, I'm going to cut his head down so he doesn't, have, he doesn't ever speak another word like that against the God that I serve. And he did that. He had what he said. He spoke it and it came to pass. 
The fourth example of scripture of the devil using this number one weapon of deception and power of suggestion is in 2 Chronicles 32. The king Sennacherib came against Jerusalem and Judah and Hezekiah and he kept saying, in what confidence is this in which you trust? Hezekiah strengthened the people of, of Jerusalem in that day, getting them to be encouraged to pick up arms and fight. God's on our, on our side. If the Lord be for us, then nothing can come against us. He said there's more for us than there are against us. With them is the arm of flesh, but with us is the arm of God who fights our battles. Don't be afraid. Don't be dismayed because of the multitudes that have come against us. We're going to come through. We're going to make it to the other side. He started to strengthen the people with his words, but then Sennacherib used the same tactic the devil uses words God uses words to encourage the devil uses words to discourage Sennacherib rose up and said what confidence is this in which you trust he tried to break the people's confidence in God's word so that if he got if he stripped the confidence he stripped the foundation on which they stand and if the foundation be destroyed what can the what can the people do the Bible says what can the righteous do if the foundations are destroyed Second Chronicles 32, he mouthed off, he used words. But then when all was said and done, the Bible said God released one angel that struck 185,000 of his choice soldiers so that he, King Sennacherib, went back to his own kingdom and his own children killed him. I tell you something, and this is off my notes, but if you're watching right now, I want to encourage you today. There's, it is impossible for a child of God to fail unless he quits. It is impossible for you to fail at what God's called you to do. And it is impossible for God to fail in producing what he's promised to do unless you quit. There's no losing for a child of God. There is no losing for a child of God. Whatever has been born of God has overcome this world. God will not say it's over or it ain't over until God says it's over. And God will not say it's over until you win. It ain't over until God says it's over. And God will not say it's over until you win. If you don't quit, you can't lose. If you don't quit, victory is guaranteed. Because the Bible says that God fights your battles and God will never lose a battle. God has never lost a battle and God will never lose a battle. So if you just continue fighting the good fight of faith, the Bible says the reward of faith is a good report. So I encourage you today, don't quit, don't give up, don't grow weary in well-doing. For at the end, God will bring to you the harvest that the seed of faith will produce in your life. God will bring to you the harvest of miracles. God will bring to you a harvest of healing. God will bring to you a harvest of what His Word promises. Number five example is in Luke chapter 4, Jesus being tempted by Satan in the wilderness. The sa Satan did what? If you are the son of God, come in. If you are, power of suggestion again. So I hope those five, those five examples show you that the only weapon and his number one weapon that Satan has used through the ages is the power of lies. John chapter 8, let me read this to make it abundantly clear in case you still haven't got it. John chapter 8 and verse 43. Verse 44, this is Jesus speaking, plainly. 
declaring in plain terms what he thinks of the devil. You are of your father, the devil, and the desires of your father you want to do. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in truth because there is no truth in him. Satan doesn't even have the ability to speak truth. He can't do it. It's, it's impossible for the devil to stand in truth, Jesus said. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, his own resources. He is a liar and the father of lies. Interesting that Jesus uses the word father of lies. Because to suggest that he's the father of something means that he is the originator of that thing. He is the creator of that thing. So Jesus wasn't just saying Satan lies and that's what he does. Jesus was saying before Satan was, there was no lies ever. He is the originator. He is the founding father of lies. He is the creator of lies. He is the innovator of lies. He is the one who, 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 who brought lies into creation into existence if there's you know we always say the devil can't create and i believe that he cannot create uh anything material he cannot he can't create demons he can't like it's not like he has this demon factory where he's generating more demons day by day but there's one thing that he can create and there's one area where he's original in and that's in lies and that's the weapon he's used through the ages so now that we know that he uses lies and deceit and doubt sown into people's hearts to weigh them down, to cause them to fall into defeat, to cause them to not gain the victory, to cause them to attract the thing that their fears uh, attract to their lives. What, how can we cast down these imaginations? Second, Chronic, uh, Second Corinthians chapter 10, important to know this verse. Second Corinthians chapter 10 and beginning with verse 3. For we, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down arguments. Or another translation says casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Casting down imaginations. Understand this. Your life is going to go in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And your thoughts, pay attention to this, your thoughts are influenced by forces in the spiritual realm. The spiritual realm dominates the soulical realm. And your soul has to do with your mind, your will, your desires, your thoughts. And then the soulical realm dominates the physical realm. What do I mean by that? There are two powers in the spiritual realm. There is the power of God and there is the power of the devil. There is the power of darkness and the power of light. Your mind is going to receive transmissions from one of those two powers. When you're born again, the Spirit of God comes alive in you. And now, as a born again child, you have the ability to receive transmissions from heaven by the Spirit of God to your mind. But because we're spirit beings, we can also pick up on demonic thoughts. We can pick up on satanic deceptions. We can pick up, any human can pick up on on uh, 
on, on, on Satan's voice. What you choose to believe in your mind and in your heart, whether you choose to believe God or choose to believe the devil, will determine what shapes your, the strongholds that are in your mind. They will determine what imaginations you carry. They'll determine what mental processes that you have. Once that happens, the mental processes, your thoughts, your entire life is going to go in the direction of your strongest thoughts. Your entire life will take on the shape of what you think on the most. Paul said it in Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Therefore, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is pure, whatever is good, whatever is noteworthy, if there's anything excellent or worthy of praise, dwell on these things. So you have the choice. See, the, that's why the variable is us. It's not God, it's not the devil. The devil's constantly going to spew out lies. God's constantly going to spew out truth. We are the variable. We have to choose to what? Dwell on, meditate on, choose to think on things that are good, things that are true, things that are in line with scripture. For then and only then will the God of peace be with us. Listen to this. The person you look at in the mirror tomorrow will be a product of the thoughts that you think today that are going to be influenced based on who you're believing in the spirit realm. Romans chapter 6 says this way, says it this way. Do you not know that to whomever you present yourself a slave to obey, you are that one slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or obedience leading to righteousness? So if you present yourself and you present the thoughts of Satan or the thoughts that Satan throws your way, you present them to your mind and you entertain them, you'll become a slave and imprisoned to, to those strongholds, to the strongholds of those negative thoughts. If you present yourself to the thoughts of God, which Jeremiah 29, 11 says that we know the thought, God says, I know the thoughts I have for you. They're not thoughts to destroy or to afflict you. They're thoughts to bless you and prosper you. When you present yourself to those thoughts, you'll become a slave to those thoughts. You'll go in the direction of those thoughts. So the person you face in the mirror tomorrow is going to be a product of the thoughts you think today. Proverbs 23, 7. I can't make it any simpler than this. Proverbs chapter 23, verse 7 says, As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So you are going to take on the shape of your strongest thoughts. If your thoughts are negative, your life is going to produce negative results. If your thoughts are biblical and in line with God's truth, your thoughts are going to produce a harvest of miracles and blessings and honor and good things. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. You are what you think. You are what you think. You can actually hold in your hand what's too big for your mind to conceive. If you think healing's too big, your hand, your life will never produce healing. If you think that uh, salvation is some unimaginable thing and God is some fairy tale, you're never going to reap the promise of salvation. Everything God does in the natural physical realm begins in what we think on 
believe on, and then confess with our mouth. So you start th saying things, I'm, I'm cursed. Things are hard. You start to believe the devil's lies that your, your family was poor. You're going to be poor. Your children will be poor. You're going to start having that stronghold of poverty in your mental faculty set up. And as a result, you, most, you will stay poor. You're never going to break free from poverty. You're constantly going to be struggling to make ends meet. So how do we cast down these imaginations? How do we cast down these fearful thoughts? How do we take authority or take captive these thoughts so we can have victory in our thought life? Number one, how to take a thought life, uh, your thought life, how to take a thought captive and have victory in your thought life. How to take your thought life to the next level. How to take a thought captive and how to have victory in your thought life. Number one, identify the source of your, that thought that you're having. Take an evaluation of the thoughts that you're having. Are they producing peace or are they producing stress and anxiety? Are they producing joy or are they producing depression? I'll tell you, and I wrote down seven things God's voice brings. Seven byproducts of hearing from God. When God speaks, these are the seven things that are going to follow. So you can know when God's speaking. Don't buy into that garbage that you, it's so hard to discern the voice of God and the voice of the devil. It's actually not that hard to discern. You can know when God's speaking and you can know when the devil's speaking. Here are seven ways to know that God is speaking. Number one, does it bring peace to you? P, uh, Psalm, 50, uh, Psalm 85 and verse 8 says, I will watch to hear, I will watch to see what God the Lord will speak. For he shall speak peace unto his people and unto his saints. When God speaks, peace follows. When God speaks, peace follows all the time. It's never going to bring you anxiety. It's never going to bring you. The Bible says anxiety in the heart of man brings depression, but a good words, God's word makes it glad. So are, if, is what's going through your mind, is it producing stress? Is it producing anxiety? Is it producing um, worry? Then you can know absolutely that it is not from God. It's from the devil. The devil brings confusion. The devil brings insecurity. The devil brings discouragement. The devil brings anxiety. God's word brings peace. I mean, Jesus said, my peace give I unto thee. He's called the prince of peace. So when he speaks, the Bible calls it, if you will listen to me, Isaiah chapter 48, your life will produce peace like a river and righteousness like the waves of the sea. Psalm 119 says, great peace have those who love your word and nothing gets them to stumble. The Bible says in Romans chapter 15 and verse 13, and the God of hope will bring you joy and peace when you believe in him, the God of hope will bring you joy and peace when you believe in him, which leads me to my second point. When God speaks, what does it bring? Number two, it brings you joy. Jeremiah chapter 15 and verse 16 says that your word, Jeremiah speaking, your word was found and I ate it and it became to me the joy and gladness of my heart. When you eat up God's word, it produces a harvest of joy, unspeakable and full of glory. 
The Bible says, those who believe on you shall rejoice in your name. That's in the book of Psalm. Psalm 5, I believe it is. Those who believe on your name shall rejoice greatly. The Bible says in Proverbs that in the tents of the righteous, which the Bible says the righteous one shall live by faith in God's word, the tents of the righteous, there is great joy and glory. So in God's word, God's word is the custodian of joy. That when you eat it, it releases. Almost like when you get bit by a snake, it releases a venom into your bloodstream. When you eat up this book, it releases not venom or poison or something harmful. It releases joy like a river running through your whole life. Where no matter the circumstances you're facing, no matter what you're seeing in the physical reality, no matter what reports you've heard this last week, there's a river of abundant joy bursting forth from the seams that you're drawing your source of strength from. The Bible says the joy of the Lord is your strength. Hallelujah. John chapter 15, 11, Jesus said, these, these things I have spoken to you that you might have what? My joy made full in you. So God's word carries God's joy when you receive it in your heart and you meditate on it. That joy gets released into your spirit resulting in a joy that's unexplainable and full of glory. The third thing that comes on you when, you, when you're hearing from God, the third byproduct, byproduct of God's voice is encouragement and courage. When God speaks, it's going to produce courage in you. Never did God appear to someone in the Old Testament and say, thus saith the Lord. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, we really don't know how we're going to do this. We should really go hide out in the caverns. You look at Gideon. Gideon's hiding out as a coward away from the, Israel, the Israeli enemies threshing wheat in a wine press, which you don't do that. You need to be in a place where there's circulation and wind. He's doing it in a wine press, hiding from the enemies of Israel. God appears to him. The angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Gideon, oh mighty man of valor, Get up. Go in this thy might. I'm going to use you. You're going to fight the enemies of Israel and it'll be like you're fighting one person yet you'll defeat an entire nation. Gideon had a, an infusion of courage and strength come into his spirit to do all that God had called him to do. When God speaks, Joshua 1, Therefore be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid nor be discouraged for the Lord your God is with you everywhere you go. And again I say be strong and courageous. Don't turn from my word from the left or to the right. Be strong and courageous. God's word carries strength and courage that empowers you to get what God's calling you to do done. You know when the angel came to Paul in Acts chapter 27, and they had been shipwrecked. And the scripture says that for many days, they haven't even seen sun or star. No sky appeared. And all hope that they'd ever be saved was given up. They were discouraged, hopeless, and ready to throw in the towel and quit. But the angel of the Lord stood bef before um, Paul that night and told Paul what? Didn't say, Paul, sorry to tell you, this is the end of the road for you. Don't know how you're going to get out of this jam. You know, I really told you, you shouldn't have set still. That's not what the angel of God brought from heaven. The message the angel of God had was, Paul, get up and eat. Take heart and be happy. For God has spoken. There will be no loss of any life, only of the ship. But you, have, you must appear before Caesar, and God has granted your life and the life of everybody else. So get up, eat, strengthen yourself, 
You're going to get to the other side. You ain't dying here. You're going to live and not die and declare the works of the Lord. It brought encouragement. You look at Elijah. Elijah gets to the widow of Zarephath's house, house who's ready to die. She was about to eat her last meal, and she said, both me and my sons will then kill ourselves. We're going to die. Elijah, by the word of the Lord, said, hey, don't be afraid. Bring me first a piece of cake, then you and your house, the bin of flour, and the, joy, the jar of oil will never run dry until the day God sends rain on the, on the earth again. Go and do as I have said. And she, he strengthened the widow's house so that for an entire famine they were eating and feasting while the whole world was scraping the bottom of the barrel to accumulate somewhat of a meal. She, was, she had overflow and abundance. Elijah carried a message of encouragement to the house of the widow of Zarephath. Number five, when God speaks, faith is generated. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. Number six, hope is generated. Proverbs chapter 24 says, eat honey, my son, which is good, and receive the knowledge of my word. Let me read it to you. Proverbs chapter 24, and beginning with verse 13. Proverbs 24 and verse 13. The Bible says, my son, eat honey because it is good and honeycomb, which is sweet to your taste. So shall the knowledge of wisdom be to your soul. If you have found it, which we know that the wisdom of God is God's word. If you have found God's word, you now have a future. And your hope will not be cut off. So God's word embeds within your spirit hope. What is hope? Hope is, your, is a God-given ability to imagine your God-given destiny. Abraham had no son. God told him, I'm going to give you sons, I'm going to give you descendants that outnumber the stars of heaven and the sand on the seashore. Abraham was discouraged still. He couldn't see it. He, could, he didn't have hope to believe it at that point. You know what God did? He said, come out of the tent. You're, too, you're in that small thinking tent. When you look up, there's a, there's a ceiling. I need you to come out of the tent so you can look up to the heavens. Count the stars. I want to paint a picture of what I'm about to do for you. If you're in that small thinking type of tent, I can't really illustrate and build up your hope for what I really want to accomplish in your life. Come out of that small mindset. Come out of that small hope that you have. Come out of that small thinking process that you have. Look up to heaven. Can you count the stars? No. Neither will you be able to count the descendants that I'm about, that I'm about to bring your way. And Abraham, in hope against hope, he had a human hope that discouraged him, but then a godly hope came that encouraged him because it allowed him to envision the future of God for his life. The word of God, God's voice brings hope. Number seven, and the final way you can test whether what you're hearing is God's voice or the devil's voice is does it bring direction or confusion? God's voice, Isaiah 48, 17. I am the Lord your God who teaches you to profit and leads you in the way that you should go. God's word and voice will give you direction. The Bible says he's not the author of confusion. When Satan speaks, it, dis it brings disorder. It disrupts, uh, it disrupts peace. It disrupts your direction. It gets you to doubt the plan of God for your life. It gets you to reconsider and reevaluate. Am I really going the right, the right way? That's what the devil tried to do in Jesus' life. 
did did are you really the the son of God? If did um if you are the son of God, command that the he tried to get him to doubt the direction he was going in. He tried to get him to doubt the the assignment God had him on. He tried to get him to doubt to he tried to sow confusion into Jesus's life. But Jesus obviously dismantled the thoughts of confusion that that the enemy tried to sow in his life by what? By stating the word. By bringing it back to the word. The word brings direction. It brings clarity. It brings focus. The Bible says in Isaiah 30, 21, Thou shalt hear a voice behind thee saying, This is the way. Walk ye therein. God's voice will tell you, This is where you need to go. This is what you need to do. The Bible says in Psalm 25, Who is the one that fears the Lord? Him, God will instruct in the way he should choose. God wants to instruct you. God's not trying to hold back direction contrary to what you might believe. God's not trying to make life more complicated or more complex. He's not trying to keep things back from you and keeping his plan back from you. He's not trying to, um, to, to, to kind of play a guessing game with you. No. The Bible says the steps of a righteous man are ordered of the Lord. And God wants to instruct you in the way that you should go. Uh, David said it in Psalm 25. Show me your path, O Lord. Teach me your truth. Lead me in the way and I will go. The Bible says he will lead you forth by the right way. Romans 8.14 says those who are born again and are children of God are are led by the Spirit of God. Jesus said, I'm going to send you the Spirit who's going to guide you into all truth. The Holy Spirit is a guiding spirit spirit he's not trying to play a guessing game with you he's not trying to play a game of cat and mouse he's not trying to complicate things and disrupt the order of things he's actually trying to bring order he's trying to bring direction to you and lead you and when God leads you you can know 100% certainty he always leads you forward he always leads you upward he always leads you into a better place never into a worse place he always leads you into a greater place he always leads you into more prosperity more health more strength he never leads you backwards the devil does a good enough job on his own to push people back God's hand is a propelling force it propels you ahead of where you're at You can trust God that if he's told you to do something and you carry out that instruction, you can know that you know that that's going to be a step up and not a step down. You can know that you know that you're going to move on into victory and not into defeat. You can know that you know that God's not trying to lead you into a trap. He's taking you out of the trap of the devil and he's bringing you in to a broad place. The Bible says this poor man cried out and the Lord heard him and he delivered and directed him into a broad place. Those are seven ways you can know whether it's God speaking or the devil speaking. When the devil's speaking, it brings confusion. Bible says in Mark 5, when Jairus went to Jesus and asked him to come and lay hands on his daughter that she might live, as they were on the way, people came from Jairus' house and said, don't trouble the teacher any longer, your daughter is dead. It brought confusion. What do I believe now? I don't know what to believe. I thought you were the Messiah. It brought confusion. Those people lent their voice to the devil to bring confusion in Jairus' home. Number two, the devil brings insecurity. The ten spies, they spoke. We know God's on our side, but the giants are too big. The devil will tell you, that's too, that's too big of a plan, you'll never accomplish it. That's too big of a dream, you'll never get there. That's too big of a promise, you'll never have it. That's too great of a, of a life, you'll never experience it. He always tries, you're cursed, you're this, you're that, tries to breed insecurity in you. 
so that you never attempt anything great for God. Number three, he brings discouragement. David's brothers turned to him when he was about to go and fight Goliath and said, who do you think you are? Go back to tend to your father's few sheep. Go back to where you were. You weren't destined for anything great. Try to discourage and suppress. If that voice and that thought you're hearing is doing that, you can know it's not God speaking. And number four, it brings anxiety. The Hebrews, three Hebrew boys in facing the fiery furnace. The Bible says when Nebuchadnezzar saw that they wouldn't bow, he said that the furnace should be heated seven times hotter. He tried to bring anxiety. He tried to bring worry. He tried to get them to back down by the spirit of fear. So number one, identify the source of your thought. Is it God speaking or the devil? Number two, now that you have identified the source of that thought, you need to move on to locate a scripture that promises the opposite of what the devil's trying to get you to believe. So, a thought cannot be removed. Your thought, your thinking mind cannot be removed. You cannot stop your mind from thinking. But you have to remove the lie and replace it with truth. So your mind's going to move, but you have to remove the lie and then replace it with truth. You've identified the lie. Now we're going to remove the lie. And the way we do that is replacing it with truth. The hamster's going to roll. Your brain's going to move, but what you think on totally depends on you. So what I, I, I quoted this before, but I want to read it again. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Listen to this. Actually, let me start with verse 6. Be anxious for nothing. So those thoughts, they breed anxiety. The Bible says, don't be anxious for anything. A lot of people take that verse and they kind of get mad at God. What do you mean be anxious for nothing? As if I want to keep on being anxious. As if I want to stay anxious. As if I want to stay worried. But then Paul goes on to say exactly how you're not to stay worried, how you can break free from anxiety. He says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. So one of the ways you can do that is by praying. But then it's not just prayer. There's a lot of people who pray, Father, deliver me from this. Father, get rid of this. Father, I don't want to struggle with the spirit of fear anymore. But then they still struggle with the spirit of fear. Why? Because it's a two-part deliverance process. You pray, but then... It says, and the peace of God will surpass all understanding, will guard your heart and mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, now, now that you've prayed, this, here's your responsibility. Here's your point of action. Here's what you have to do. Whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, whatever thing is virtuous, and those that are praiseworthy, Dwell, meditate, think on these things. And the things that you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do, and the God of peace will be with you. So we have to locate scriptures now, because he says we have to dwell on things that are true. Well, what is truth? This word. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said, or the Bible says rather, that the word of God was made flesh in Jesus. So Jesus was the incarnation of truth. The word of God is truth. The Bible says in John 17, thy word is truth, O Lord. So if the Bible says whatever is true, we're to dwell on, then when the devil sows the lie that you're going to get sick, when the devil sows the lie that your family has struggled with that disease, it's hereditary, you're going to probably struggle with that disease because nobody's been exempt from it. Nobody's broken free from it. He tries to get you to fear sickness and, uh, 
and, and so deceitful thoughts concerning your physical health, what do you do? Exodus 15, 26 says, if you'll heed my voice, God said, I will, and obey it, to do everything I've commanded you to do, I will not allow any of the diseases that have come upon this world and upon Egypt to ever come near you. For I am the Lord, your healer. So we remove the lie that, you know, the devil has spewed a lie and it's even gone through the church. How many of you know, we're not exempt from sickness. Sick, trials come in many ways and sometimes it's sickness and disease. That's not what my Bible says. The Bible lists sickness as a curse and Christ has redeemed me from the curse of the law. Having been made a curse for me, he took sickness for me. He bore my sickness, carried my pains. By his stripes, I'm healed. And so I'm not going to think on these dogmatic statements and satanically influenced thoughts that stay that we can get sick at any time that breeds fear and generates doubt concerning God's willingness to keep me healthy. I'm going to think on the word of God, the thoughts of God concerning my physical health which says by his stripes i am healed it says he already bore my sickness i don't have to bear it another day i don't have to ever even get sick if i'll serve the lord my god he said he'll be, he will he will bless my bread and my water and take sickness out of my midst hallelujah goes against the grind of even north american christianity that says how many of you know you know Sickness is just a part of life. And we got to trust God that if he wills to heal us, he'll do it. But if not, thy will be done. There's no other way than let this cup not, if this cup can pass, then so be it. But if not, you know, they twist the scriptures to pray these religious prayers that aren't even, that aren't even uh, biblical in reference to our health package that heaven has to offer. And whatever the devil wants to get you to believe, that you're going to get sick, that the sicknesses that have run rampant in your family, you're going to be a victim of one day. Not only think the opposite, but go strong on the opposite end. Not only am I never going to, not only am I ever going to get sick, my children will never get sick. My grandchildren will never be, get sick. We're going to be a mysteriously healthy family. Pestilence can stalk in darkness, can go all it can be all around this world. There can be viruses being produced around the four corners of the earth. But as for me and my house, we serve the Lord and we will taste and see of God's healing package for our family. So you remove the lie that you can get sick and you replace it with the truth that he protects us as a wall of fire. He covers us. He is a hedge of protection that is impregnable, cannot be bypassed. Cannot be superseded by anything. Number two, lies that the devil sows in people's minds is that you're going to die an early death. How many, of you, how many of you know we can die at any time? Speak for yourself. I'm going to have a long life like the Bible promises me. Psalm 91, with long life I'll, I will satisfy you and show you my salvation. The Bible says in uh, Proverbs, I believe it's chapter 15 verse 29, the fear of the Lord prolongeth days. The Bible says in another area of Proverbs, that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. By me, the fear of the Lord, your days shall be multiplied and years of life will be added unto you. Oh, come on. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 1, My son, do not forget my word. Keep my commands within your heart. For it is what? It is peace. It is long life. And it is favor. 
for all those that have it. Peace, length of days, and long and uh, favor for all those that have it. The Bible says in Job chapter 5 that you shall go to the grave at a good old age as a sheaf of corn in its season. I mean, those are Bible promises that you don't have to die young. You don't have to go before your time. The Bible says God told Gen uh, in Genesis to Abraham, God said that as for you, Abraham, you're going to go to your fathers at a good old age and you'll be buried in peace. And the scripture says in Galatians 3 that if we are Christ, then we are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the things God promised Abraham. Hallelujah. What Abraham had, I'm entitled to. And it doesn't say Abraham got into an accident far before he was supposed to go as a, 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 a chariot ran him over or he was in a, 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 a stampede of boars and he got run over and trampled underfoot by boars. The Bible says he died at 175 years old. Hallelujah. I'm not part, my old family, I've branched out of my a biological family here on this earth. I have a new family. I have a spiritual family. And I reap the benefits and the, the promises and the blessings of that spiritual family. My natural father's name is Renee. But my real father, my father in heaven is God. Is and 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 my father in the faith is Abraham. And what I'm going to receive in life is not based on what ran through my family, my natural family's uh, bloodline, but now it runs through my spiritual family's bloodline. Can you shout hallelujah? Number three, the devil lies to you and tells you that you're going to stay poor and you're going to always be poor and your children will be poor and you've always been poor. You can turn back and start quoting Deuteronomy 28. The Bible actually says that if I'll diligently hearken unto the voice of the Lord my God, he'll bless my bread and my water and he'll, uh, sorry, he'll bless me in my city and he'll bless me in the coming out. He'll bless me in my rising he'll bless me in my sitting down the bible says all these blessings will come on you blessed shall be your kneading bowl blessed shall be your baskets blessed shall you be in the city and blessed shall you be in the country the bible says he'll command a blessing on your storehouses and on to all to which your hand you put your hand to do he'll bless the work of your hands he'll bless the bible says your cattle that's talking about financial prosperity and wealth. You don't have to stay poor. Don't believe the devil's lie that just because you were born into a poor family that you have to die poor. You might have been born poor, but you can die rich. Because the Lord said, I will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Abraham, in one chapter, went from Abraham, who was dependent upon his family and his father's house, to now Abraham, who was very rich in livestock, silver and gold. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isaiah 48, 17. I'm the Lord your God who teaches you to profit. God will teach you and navigate you out of poverty into wealth. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I shall not want. Number uh, four. Your marriage is never going to work. That's a lie. Your marriage is done. Your marriage is over. Your marriage is finished. The devil loves to whisper that into a lot of people's ears. But you want to know what the Bible says? Hebrews 13 says marriage is honorable and good. And Psalm 84, 11 says no good thing will God withhold from them that walk uprightly. God didn't, God's pr promise is not just for you to get married. God's promise is that your marriage will be honorable. And your marriage will be something to look up to and good. And God said he won't withhold that level of good in the area of your marriage. And remember, Jesus said, what God brings together, nobody can ever separate. 
Let no man separate. Let no devil separate. I speak to every force, every entity, whether it be a, a, a spirit of adultery or lust or whatnot that's trying to pull your marriage apart. Maybe it's a spirit of covetousness that one of, the, one of you in the marriage is, is totally in love with money and it's pulling the marriage apart because there's no time given to the, to, the, uh, to the building up of your marriage. Everything's given to the building up of a company or a business or whatnot. And your family's gone to shambles and your marriage has gone to shambles. In the name of Jesus Christ, I rebuke that foul devil of covetousness, that spirit of lust and adultery that's trying to hover over your marriage to tear it apart. Anything that's standing between you and an honorable marriage is removed supernaturally by faith. In the name of Jesus right now. In Jesus name. You're going to have a, an enviable marriage. And no matter what the devil's plotted. Against your marriage. That it seems like it's disastrous. People you're even the talk of the town right now. And even people are saying it'll never get. There's no way that can be repaired. God will do such a restoration work. That your testimony will sound forth. Throughout the entire world. In Jesus mighty name. In the name of Jesus. Number five, the salvation of loved ones. Your child will never get saved. You think your husband's ever going to get saved? Oh, you might have a husband or a wife that's nice, but they don't want anything to do with God. I can tell you the Bible says both you and your household will be saved. You can stand on a Bible promise. I'm not only going to be saved, I'm just going to be the first domino to fall and all the other dominoes that represent the other members in my family are going to fall and they're going to fall and bow their knee to the lordship and authority of Jesus Christ. Both me and my house will be saved. The Bible says my, me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. You have a promise you can stand on. The Bible says that God desires all men to be saved. That includes your children. That includes your spouses. The Bible says God is not willing that any should perish. That includes, that's a Bible promise that you can stand on. That the devil tries to whisper that lie, your family will never get saved. No, not only is my family going to get saved, my children will be used by God. My children will be raised up to be evangelists. They'll be raised up to be prophets and pastors and teachers and part of the fivefold work of ministry. And God will use them like a hammer in his hand to break down the work of darkness in other people's lives in Jesus' name. And then finally... The, one of the biggest lies the devil throws believers. If you're an unbeliever, you can believe this lie and it's true for you. But if you are a believer, if you're in Christ, many times the devil lies to you starts and saying things like, you're unlucky or you're cursed. You're cursed. You have a generational curse on your life. And ultimately... There is a, a, a satanic spell that's been placed over you and no matter what the blood of Jesus can do, it will not be so for you. That is a lie from the pit of hell. The Bible says in Numbers 23, whom God has blessed, no man can curse. And Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in heavenly places. I'm too blessed and cannot be cursed. God, the Bible says very clearly, the devil cannot curse whom God has blessed. Numbers 23, God has blessed them and I cannot curse them. You're too blessed to be stressed and you're uncursable because of what Christ did in you at the work of the cross. 
The blood of Jesus Christ transferred you out of the realm of curses and into the realm of blessing. Christ has redeemed us from the curse, having been made a curse for us, that we might receive the blessing of God. You're not cursed. Quit believing the devil's lie. Nothing ever works for me. I, I, never works out for me. Devil's lying to you constantly, saying you're trapped, you're stuck. Life is hard. I'm blessed. There mu- I mean, I'm cursed. There must be a, 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 a spell that's been made over my life. I carry a generational cursing. Look, the moment you got saved, the blood of Jesus broke every single curse that was tied to your life, be it generational, be it personal, be it intergenerational, whatever you want to call it. The blood of the moment you accepted Christ into your life. Remember, the Bible calls Christ the blessed one, and Christ lives in you. How could you have the blessed one and carry a cursed one in you? The two are opposite. You're either blessed or cursed. You're either saved or not saved. You're either found or lost. You're either blind or you see. You're either dead in sin or alive to God. You can't be one and the other. You should start confessing that. That's why I took this time to locate scriptures. And if you can go back in the broadcast afterwards and write down all these scriptural references, because these scriptures are opposite to what the devil tries to paint a picture of for your life. So number one, we identify the source of the thoughts. Number two, we locate scriptures that are opposite to what the devil wants you to think. And then number three, and I'll finish with this. Now that you have the word in your heart, build an imagination that surrounds the truth of the word of God. What do I mean by that? Imagination is powerful. God created you with an imagination. The devil doesn't give you imagination. These people that say, oh, if you start talking about imagination, you're talking like Christian science and see it and believe it and all that. Like Tony Robbins talks about all these motivational speakers. Let me tell you something. Just because motivational speakers stole something from the Bible and twisted it and perverted it for selfish reasons to gain wealth doesn't mean it's not a biblical principle. Genesis 11.3 says, this they began to do and nothing could be restrained from them of which they have imagined to do so the power of imagination is something god has given you and when imagination is left untapped and uncontrolled you can imagine crazy things and sinful things and you'll accomplish those crazy things and sinful things if it's if your imagination is unholy it will produce unholy things but you can actually control and tame your imagination to line itself up with the scriptures And then start to imagine things in line with scripture. See yourself well. So don't just quote the scripture that I'm blessed and healed and highly favored. Start to see yourself. Imagine yourself well. Dodie Osteen, John Osteen's um, wife. She was given a diagnosis at 44 years old of uh, metastatic cancer of the liver. Told she had six weeks to live. Down to 80 pounds. You know what she did? She tore down every mirror in her house. Then she put up a picture frame with a picture loaded in it of every memorable memorable moment in her life where she was happy, where she was doing things she loved, riding horses, traveling in Rome, traveling in Greece. And she put up all those pictures so that now she had an easier time imagining herself well. She tore down the mirrors and she put up pictures 
of what she desired. Some of you have to tear it down. Pour spiritual mirrors of yourself that the devil's trying to get you to think you look like and start to establish the mirror of God's word that shows you what you look like. Some of you have to rip out the rear view mirrors of your life. You're too much took, looking towards your past, looking towards your past defeats, your past failures, your past stories that didn't turn out right. And as such, your imagination is just exactly what has been is what shall be. That's not the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is man got themselves in the mess, but thanks be unto God for his mercy because he's the God of turnaround. And though the story started a certain way, it doesn't have to end a certain way. Just because the devil messed up your life up until now, he doesn't have to finish the book of your life. You can throw out that book and you can start writing a new book wherein you and God write the chapters that follow. Life doesn't have to finish the way it started. That's the way, that's the message of the cross. See yourself well. Even if you've been sick, that's the thing. People that have been sick for a prolonged period of time, they have a hard time with this because they have a hard time imagining themselves well because they've never seen, they don't remember themselves well. Start imagining yourself well. Start thinking of yourself healthy. And if you're paralyzed, think of yourself running. Think of yourself rich and being able to be a blessing to others if you're poor. Not being the one that's paying the rent, but the one that's receiving the rent money. Start seeing yourself joyful, not crying yourself to sleep every night, but imagine yourself as someone who's just happy-go-lucky, constantly going around, bringing joy to others. With a, not just some superficial smile on your face, but a, a genuine smile based out of a heart rooted in joy. See yourself restored see your family restored see your business restored imagine yourself flourishing and not decaying and use the power of imagination in line with scriptures to produce that you know what imagination is another word for it is hope what you're hoping you're hoping for you're imagining in your mind a hope first is birthed and conceived in your imagination and the bible says faith is the evidence of things hope for so you actually can't bring in evidence or proof of what you're believing until you first imagine it hope it there's unholy imaginations imagine if you're imagining sexual things and all that that's wrong but you can use your imagination to line up with godly things imagine your family restored imagine your children worshiping god on sunday morning next time I'm at church on Sunday, lift up your hands and beside you, just picture your son and your wife or your daughter, whatever, lifting their hands next to you, exalting God together. And the Bible says, now nothing can be restrained from them of which they have imagined to do. Abraham, in hope against hope, believed. What does that mean? He had a godly hope that he fought against his human hope his human hope is what you always hear when when it comes to hope well, i just hope it works out that's human work well, i hope it i hope that pans out i hope he comes home i hope i'm rich i hope i get well i hope i get healed that's human hope the bible says in hope against hope he believed so what were these two hopes fighting against each other the human hope and the godly hope the godly hope is when god said look up to the sky all the stars let that paint a picture in your spirit of what I, where I'm bringing you. That was a godly hope that was conceived in Abraham's spirit so that with that, he can fight against the human hope and believe. And what happened? 
Abraham was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. And he held his Isaac. And now the children of Abraham are multiple millions of people on planet earth to this day. Hallelujah. That's right, child of God. You see it as it's already done. That's what faith is. Faith and hope are not opposite to one another. Like some teach, faith and hope actually work together. Faith is having the promise in the scripture. Hope is seeing that promise manifest in your life. Calling those things which be not as though they were. Well, you can't call it as though it was, as though it was unless you see it in your spirit. First, you've conceived it in here. What you see out there, listen to me, pay special attention to this. If it's too big for your mind to conceive, it'll be too big for your hand to hold in possession. If it's too big for your spirit to believe, it'll be too big for your eyes to see. You have to see it first in your heart before you can see it in your hand and in your life. And the word of God is what paints a picture of what God can do if you'll only believe. That's why the Bible says whatever thing you pray for, believe that you have it. Believe already that you have it. See it already in your hand. See that family, that marriage restored and honorable. See your legs moving, even though they're crippled now. See your vital organs functioning again. Believe it. And the Bible says, at that moment that you see that in your, the moment you see it here, you have it. That's why God said, Abraham, Abram, change your name. Now that you've seen where I'm taking you, change your name. You're no longer worthy to be called Abram, which is exalted father. Change your name to Abraham, the father of a multitude of nations because that's exactly what I've made you to be if you're watching right now and you've never given your life to Jesus Christ you need to get right right now you need to settle this account all what I talk today is, is ain't gonna help you one bit until you do this very first thing has there ever been a time in your life where you received Christ Jesus as your Lord and Savior has there ever been a time where you have turned and repented from sin and turned your life towards God and asked him for grace to live a life worthy of his calling have there, has there ever been a time where you have dropped hands with this world and joined hands with Jesus? If not, today's your day. And if you have done it at one point in your life, but you'd like to restore your commitment to Christ and rededicate yourself to the God of the Bible, to, to, to Jesus Christ, today's the day of salvation. Now's the day to be saved. Don't push this off one more minute. Pray this with me from the bottom of your heart. Say this with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I believe... You raised Jesus from the dead. And I confess, Jesus is my Lord. I ask you, forgive me of my sin. Wash away my sin. Where I was weak, fill me with your Holy Spirit and make me strong. I believe today, old things pass away. I have a new life. I am a new creation and I'll never be the same. God is my Father. My sins are forgiven. My past is covered. My present is secure. And my future is bright. In Jesus' name, I am saved. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I want you to get in contact with me. Salvationnow.ca. The first link that pops up is I just got saved. Fill out that link. There's a, li there's a YouTube link at the bottom of the page. Click on it. 
Four things I would tell every Christian. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.